0: Are you ready to become toxic person proof? Hey guys, Sarah K. Ramsey here to help you find love and success after a toxic relationship so you can design a life you're actually excited about living. Hello wonderful, this is Sarah and I'm excited about today's conversation because we get into this thought pattern of someone should do something about this. And most of the time, I try to focus the podcast on, well, what can you do about your life? So today, the podcast is going to be a lovely mix of both, of what needs to happen within our legal system to change, to make things better, and then what we can do to protect ourselves. I am here with Christine Cociola. and Christine, you are in the throes of helping change the laws and trying to spread awareness about this. Is that correct?
1: Yes, I am. Uh, Well,
0: I I am glad that you are. (laughs) We are thankful (laughs) for your work. Why don't you tell people a bit about what you do?
1: Sure. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. I really appreciate it. Um, I am very passionate about domestic uh, violence and sexual assault. Actually, since the age of 19, I have been a sexual assault domestic violence counselor for a local umbrella agency, and I still volunteer there. And I think what's most interesting about my story is that I went on to um, be a social worker and to work in child welfare and also to be a teacher on the college level. Um, I teach full-time social work studies And I teach on the power and control wheel every single semester for about two days and did not really recognize the insidious nature of the coercive control I was experiencing in my own life. And so after being married for 26 years, um, I began, well, actually about year 20, I began to realize some patterns and really became more curious. And, um, and then, um, when I left my ex-husband, uh, post-separation abuse is really honestly what, helped me leave, if he had not been so abusive during the post-separation abuse, and we know that occurs in about 90% of coercive control cases where the abuse intensifies significantly, if he had not been so horrible to me during that time, I might have still been with him. Um, That's how insidious the abuse is. And um, I met him when I was really young, Um, but I think some people are perfect prey for these abusers, and I call it domestic abuse as the overarching um, because domestic, it's not always violent. Actually, most of the time, coercive control is the foundation of most domestic abuse. And most of the time it is not violent. It is more psychological in nature. And, um, and then the violent act might be the last act, which, you know, unfortunately can sometimes be homicide, but certainly can be the act that makes the victim leave. And, and we hear this all the time from coercive control victims is if he had only hit me, you know people would have understood and you know this this question about why don't victims leave it takes the average victim seven attempts to leave because it's so hard we're so attached to this person we love them we have children with them we don't want to believe they are as i use evil as evil as they are because the abuse is so insidious so so full circle, I mean, I started off when I was 19, always wanting to be a social justice advocate. And here I am many years later, still doing that work, but actually recognizing, wow, I'm also part of this perfect, like, prey. These, I, I was this and this, and, and who would have thought, you know? And so if, if I can't, if I didn't see it, if the most astute of us can't see it, and I'm not suggesting I'm smarter than anyone. But I was teaching on this, um, and and advocating for victims all of the time. If I didn't see it, then how do we expect other people to see it? And then the whole systemic issues. How do we expect the system to really understand this unless they understand the characterological issues of these offenders? Because really, that's what it is. Is these offenders are so good at what they do that they they hoodwink many of us. Mm-hmm. So
0: So in my book, I said there is two truths you absolutely have to believe, like two truths. One, there are toxic people. Two, you know them, (laughs) right? If we can get past that, Mm -hmm. right, then you start because what happens is, oh, there's everyone's good. They don't mean it. Hurt people hurt people. You know, so that's the the one belief Mm -hmm. of there are toxic people. And then, no, 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 you know them. They are people you already know. They are people that are in your life. They're people that are in your children's life. They are people in your workplace. There it can't be, well, of course they're toxic people. They're on Netflix. They're in jail. They're in, you know, that I think if we can bring it back to those two points from the most simple basis of what we can control, that is the message um, that I'm trying to get out there that certainly aligns with your message. Uh, but can you talk a bit about what the perfect prey means to you? Yeah.
1: So, um, so I think that when we think about domestic abuse and we think about historically how women have been treated in society, and this is not to say that there are not male victims. So first of all, we know there are male victims. Second of all, you know, if we think about, uh, people in non-heterosexual relationships, you know, men with men, I think the incident rate is probably much higher than any of us would ever expect. Um, But, you know, these statistics that are out there one in four women are victims of domestic abuse. I think those are probably lower. I mean, I mean, higher, excuse me, they're much higher than what the number is because most victims don't tell their story or remain in these relationships totally unknowing for a long period of time. Right. And then there's this stat that I, I don't even like to repeat about men and because, Because what we know about male victimization um, numbers is that the moment a woman goes into the courtroom, oftentimes, or when the police show up, oftentimes these men are flipping the narrative. Or when the woman has, I like, you know, so we talk about this reactive abuse. This is when victims who push back on the offender, you know, he's got her trapped. So um, I was never physically abused, but I was trapped multiple times and there were times I pushed back. And, you know, so is that when perpetrators are saying, oh, I was an abuse victim too. And so I don't
0: believe the stats on that that for just one second, because sure. You go to your friends, you go to your family, you read a book and you hear the word, why didn't you stand up for yourself? <laughs> why didn't you put boundaries into place? Why didn't you, you know, stop people pleasing and you know react to the conflict? And I just want to hone in on that and say, if you're getting bad advice from your friends and family who don't understand the subject, they're gonna tell you to stand up for yourself. Then You go and you try to stand up for yourself and set a boundary and they call it reactive abuse. And then you can get in as much trouble as your, you know, um, coercive controlling partner. I I just want to really break that down for people because the idea that you should just stand up for yourself or well, I'm going to throw my boundaries down and then we can change the relationship can really be used against you.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think that that's part of the problem is we tell victims all the time to leave or we tell them to put in boundaries or we tell them, um, you know, I I guess, tell people, tell other people. Well, when they tell other people, a lot of people don't believe them or the story just sounds so fantastical. I mean, I don't even know if that's a word, but it's so bizarre, the type of abuse that no one really understands it sometimes. So then I heard
0: something (laughs) one time about. Um, it would be like, if you Bigfoot comes out of the the bushes. Okay. And people are like, well, it couldn't have been Bigfoot. So it must've been a bear or it must've been a lion or it must've been somebody dressed up in a costume. And when people are talking about this happened to me, well, that it couldn't be what you're saying. Mm -hmm. It couldn't be Bigfoot. So it must've been a bear. It must've been, you know, somebody in a costume, somebody playing tricks on you. And I loved that example perfect. It just stuck so strongly with me because that's exactly what people experience. And then they go in their heads because the perfect prey is someone self-responsible.
1: Well, that's, you know, so this is it. So, you know, I, you know, well, I know we know as, as victims that, you know, we don't like accusing people of bad things. We actually want to believe the best of people all of the time, right? Yeah. You're speaking, you're nodding your head. It's like, yeah, like I who wants to believe somebody is really that toxic, that evil, right? And then so then you tell people and then they kind of diminish it a little bit. They water it down like you just said, it's not Bigfoot, it's a bear or it's you know whatever. And so you know we give victims all this advice, you know, put up boundaries, you know, leave all these things. But the reality is is that that is one of that is the hardest thing. it, it, and I I use the word escape. It is so hard to escape from this because, because you're not believed all of the time, because that is when he is going to get worse. That is when he's going to try to take your children away. He's going to turn your children from you. I mean, all of these things. So, so those stats about male victims, I won't even repeat. It's not to say there aren't, but then going back to your initial question, this is truly um, embedded in our culture, in history, in our systems, this oppression of of women, and so you know, um, you know, Dr. Jess Taylor is doing amazing work. She's from England, and um, she is doing all this work about how we pathologize women all of the time, and mm-hmm. so you know, uh, many of the diagnoses that we continue to use for women, or you know, the whole too sensitive, sure, right, but now borderline. Or now you're the sociopath, you're the narcissist, you're all of these things. When the reality is, is that most victims want very little with trying to identify their person in their life, the offender, as someone bad. That's the last thing they want to do.
0: Well, and as you're saying that, I recently this uh, weekend read a book on the Vanderbilts. OK, and Alva Vanderbilt, it, Cornelius Vanderbilt was like the richest man in the world. And his grandson, William, his wife, divorced him, which at that time, very unusual. I'm not sure the exact date it was sometimes in the 1800s, but, you know, very unusual, very uh, and very prestigious. I mean, this is a the richest family in the world at the time. Um, and so she decides to get a divorce. And at that time if women got a divorce, they automatically lost their children. Like it, it was just like automatically went to the men and there was, she had been sleeping with her best friend and she had a proof of letter that, Hey, I've been having, you know, an affair with your husband for all these years. And then she went to the lawyer, of course, and the lawyer's like, but are you sure you want to do this to your kids? Are you sure you want to that? You know, you're, you're, if men don't get to cheat on women and then women start standing up to that, then you're uprooting society is what her lawyer Mm -hmm. was saying to her, you know, and we're talking about coercive control, not cheating, but many times it goes hand in hand. And then it's just, it's discouraging to see where the courts are now, but it was interesting to say, you know, within 150 years of society, that's a really short amount of time in the history of mankind. And we had and it, there's so many things that need to change. There's so many things that need to change. There's so many things that need to change. And I do like to kind of, there's a there's a bit of slight hope in where we started in this process, which is if you decided to get a divorce, your children would be taken away. You would get no money in the divorce. They you'd be penniless and you're, you would never see your children again. Um, that's kind of where we started this. <laughs> which is we're not where we need to be, but it is interesting to see the evolution of it. And I talked to a divorce lawyer one time and he said, we started this process being like uh, the modern day court system was in the place of like vigilantes, I think is the right word. So it's like, you did bad. I'm just going to kill you. Hmm. So the modern day court system was put in place to prevent people from just killing everyone that was bad and that they didn't like. So I, I, I think it's fascinating in the conversation about what needs to change now, the roots of this and where it came from, you know, and how to, how do we have this conversation about protecting women when the court system is about men in power and they're thinking, well, you're not dying. So this is better or giving you part of your children. You have 50% of your children. Do you not know that 150 years ago, you wouldn't have had your children at all? You know, it's still bad now, but it is interesting, that piece of the conversation. And, and, you know, because it kind of, I think, gives us a better idea of what we're up against. Right? Versus just like, well, this isn't fair. This doesn't make sense. (laughs) You know, it's like, these are the roots of this tree.
1: Oh, embedded in the culture. Embedded in yeah. the culture and your comment about the lawyer. So, like I this I take I'll, I'll push this the envelope just a little bit more. The lawyer was coercively controlling her.
0: The oh, lawyer absolutely.
1: was absolutely so he gaslit her into thinking that her reality was false or that she, you know, was minimized, diminished. This is what coercive controllers do all the time. And that's that's what I would suggest is that we have a system that if if 50% of moms when they go to court, say they've been domestically abused, if 50% lose custody the moment they disclose that because they're pathologized as liars, as vindictive of all of these things, then really the, the whole court system is colluding in this coercive control. And Joe Mayer just did a study. And um, in that study, it says that the moment that a victim says that she has been domestically abused, and then he uses parental alienation as the flip to that, he says, oh, she's trying to alienate me from my children. Um, Then, and we can talk about Richard Gardner's, uh, I, I hate to even say his name, but parental alienation theory and Woody Allen, how that relates to Woody Allen. But the idea that she'll lose custody 73% of the time if the judge believes that she's trying to alienate him from her children. So I guess the whole idea is that we're trying to empower women and we're trying, trying to empower victims to talk, to have a voice, to stand up for yourself, to do all these things. And then you get statistics like this, which I think Joe Mayer's study was at least 500 people. I want to say 600 people. So it's a pretty um, robust study. How, It's just the systemic issues are so compounded and there is complicit, we we are complicit in it by not hearing and listening to victims. And then the men's rights movement that has gained. So this is can go down so many paths. Right. But the men's rights movement is emboldened by this idea that women are trying to stand up for themselves. So the more that women stand up for themselves, what we know historically is if you look back in history, the more that we have a woman's empowerment movement, like right now we're trying to get equal in um, the ERA and the Constitution, right? All of these things, the more the men's rights movement actually grows. So there is a bigger force to reckon with, unfortunately. Instead of it being, as Jackson Katz always says, this is our work together, like men and women need to do this work together to create the equality um, along all, among all systems um, for all people, um, you know, no matter what race, no matter what gender, you know, we need to do this together. And, and it's not happening that way, unfortunately. It's seen as a, well, if you're going to do this, I'm going to do this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
0: Well, <laughs> so. and it's, there was a, study done with pastors and you know somebody came and said okay what do you do if there's this happening in your church and immediately they all raised their hand and said well how do we know the woman isn't lying oh my gosh (laughs) their first second third fourth fifth sixth seventh eighth ninth and tenth question was how do we know she's not lying because the Mm -hmm. automatic assumption and i'm that's why i use the 10 like the 10 layers deep is that you're lying Mm -hmm. Right. So you have mm-hmm. to get through all of those 10 layers before we might believe you. The automatic. And I, I do want to point out that and when you talked about the court, when you talked about friends and family, because, of course, Alva Vanderbilt, the other Vanderbilts came to her. Why would you ever leave him? You're ruining everything. <laughs> you know, uh, of course, that their family came into that pressure on her, too. Um, and but. I really do want to make sure people heard what you said, and I was not familiar with that statistic, but I have often heard, don't try to prove a case of abuse in court. It's going to work against you. It's not going to help you get what you want in any way. It's not going to get you more custody. It's not going to get you anything mm-hmm. that you want, it's just going to get you painted crazy. If you bring up the word narcissism or mm-hmm. abuse or, Never bring it. <laughs> yeah, it's just going to hurt you. Um, and I, I did want to bring that out from what you said and, and make sure that people heard that piece of it. Um, so, but, but, it, so the
1: good news, but we have good news. So, I mean, I good, think, yes, we, give
0: us the good news.
1: <laughs> so Connecticut's Jennifer's law is a law that adds coercive control to our domestic codifies coercive control as a form of domestic abuse. and um and in California has law now. And so, does yes, I
0: talked to a lawyer about that in California. Yes, yes. Yeah.
1: So, Hawaii has it and Colorado just passed it. So, Colorado's number four. There's other states lining up. I think Massachusetts might be next, South Carolina certainly next um, session. Um, and, and I know that I, what I do know is Connecticut's law tends, it, it seems to be the, the, the strongest. Um, okay. And we do have a woman, we are aware of a woman who was able to use the word Jennifer's Law and coercive control in court, and the judge heard her. And that is fantastic. I mean, so that, you know, so this is the problem. You can create a law. California has a law, but is it being enforced? Are people actually using it the way it was intended to be used? And so what we have is a whole group of people here in Connecticut, one group, Connecticut Protective Moms, were, who really actually, Alex Kazer, who was the proposer of the bill, um, Connecticut Protective Moms went right behind her, and we really pushed for this piece of legislation. But I'll give you a little, a little interesting story. We had a judicial hearing for the law, and we had 11 hours of testimony, over 100 victims come forward and testify, including Evan Rachel Wood, who was mm-hmm. with Marilyn Manson, um, Laura Richards, who does the podcast Dirty John. So we we had a robust group of people. And we had this other watered down law that did not really include all of the aspects of coercive control. And do you know that our umbrella agency, Connecticut Coalition of, Against Domestic Violence, not the umbrella agency I worked for, um, but the, the big Connecticut um, agency, um, actually was for the watered-down version. And you know why? Because Connecticut Judicial gives them $3 million a year. And judges did not want the more robust law to be passed. So this is what we're dealing with. We are dealing- yeah, well,
0: Can we say why? Yeah. What are, What is your assumption? Because my first thing is, I think our listeners are going to say, why don't they want it to be passed? Can you um, expand on that a bit? Sure. So, um, judges
1: and lawyers do not really want to have any additional training about um, domestic abuse, and they um, do not want to be held in the same accountability. I mean, you know, I, I can do my job. Why are you telling me how to do my job? And you know, I I get that. You know, somebody comes in and says, "Wait, you're doing this wrong. We need to fix this." Well. People don't want to hear that. But, I mean, I think we can add another layer. I mean, this this layer of gender oppression, this layer of not understanding the fact that victims are over and over again abused. And women, in general, 50% of our population suffers from gender oppression. And,
0: I love that you said that because I have heard within working with lawyers, working with judges from several lawyers, like, we have, there's this ego piece. I've never heard anyone say, you know, a teacher, hey, you're not teaching English, right? We need to train you on how to teach English, right? I've never heard a teacher say, that sounds wonderful. I would love some more training. Can you add some more hours to my week? And can you make my job harder for a while? I would love that. Um, And I do want, as unfair as things are, I do want to bring the humanity into the conversation to get a clear idea of, how things can change rather than just like this isn't right, this isn't fair, right. things should change, right? Because that's we have to speak other people's language to be able to build okay. bridges. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I, I love that you said that. And I want to bring it back to, you know, healthcare workers. I I've just never heard anyone say, I, I just can't wait for someone to tell me how I've been doing my job wrong for 20 years and all these people's lives that I probably hurt. All these kids I probably damaged. All these, like no one, no one wants to hear that. Sure, sure, right. So again, it kind of goes back to the roots of the trees. Like when we get to the root of what's happening, you know, it can be a different conversation. Of look, I know you don't want to make changes. I know you don't want more training. I know you, of course, you don't. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Can can we maybe have a conversation about what what it would mean in the lives of people versus? this isn't fair. Don't you know what you're doing? How you're a jerk or whatever right. <laughs> that uh, is incredibly ineffective for any sure. of us, you know, for any well, us of us, humans.
1: It puts people on the defense, right. Instead of, you know, let's be offensive together. And, you know, I mean, I think in general, everybody, m- most professionals, I need CEUs, right. That's what I need in order to keep my license. And so, um, you know, most professionals need that. So, um, you know, I, I would be lovely to shift the narrative about this is how we improve the services that we give to people versus you're doing something wrong. 110% agree. Um, and you know, I wish there were a way to to take to to have people take down those defenses, right? Um
0: which is and, very hard when you've been through trauma, even on the other side of like, whoa, this is something that's been wrong for hundreds of years like it's hard to go into that peacefully too you know if you're people afraid of their kids being hurt or damaged Mm
1: -hmm. or
0: you know their personalities I mean there's just it's so many emotional nuances Mm -hmm. and then if a judge or someone only sees emotion oh (laughs) then then it's easy well there's those crazy women again Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, so just having better conversations.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think, um, you know, I mean, I think I, I explained a little bit of my background, but when I went into court um, after the divorce, because my um, title was never given back to me. So when I, when our car was purchased for me, it was my car. He went and picked it up at the dealer like five years prior and it was in his name. He had picked it up. So, um, and so going through the divorce for a year and I finally, so that you going back to a comment that you made early about like finances, like sometimes you just have to cut your losses and just say, I'm going to be financially decimated. I'm going to have to start over or else I'm going to remain entangled in court and pay a lawyer. Um, and so, um, so I didn't have my title to my car and I was supposed to have it month after month. Every time we went to court, I was supposed to have it and he would just not bring it. And so it's three months after the divorce and I don't have the title to my car and I go back for contempt. It's contempt and he doesn't show up the first time. So I have to go back a second time and he's not in any trouble for not showing up. And I go back the second time and the second lawyer, the second judge. So you have different judges all the time. The second judge was the judge who presided over our divorce. And he told me that I need to stop wasting the court's time with these frivolous contempts. I don't have the title to my car. I am not a woman who is in, um, you know, doesn't have a successful career, all of these things. So when I, when we talk back about oppression, right? Like I actually have a supportive family and I'm educated and I have a great career and he's, he's demeaning me in court. And so I didn't get the title in my car until my son was able to navigate a conversation that with his dad, um, which is a whole nother story and came home. Which glo- you could
0: also get in trouble for in court. And I want to point out that too. Yeah. Because then it's like, well, the kid shouldn't be in the middle of this conversation. I'm not, you know, Fussing at you, but I just want to show people the double yes. lines here.
1: Yeah, there is a double fine My son was 20, 20 at the time. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, but you know, his
0: son had been 16. If someone's oh. listening to this and it's like, okay, the solution is to send the kid in,
1: Absolutely. I, you know, you could
0: say, you, you know, that, that could also, <laughs> that would hold more weight in court than him not giving you the title of the car.
1: Absolutely. So what ended up and yeah. what, why my son ended up doing it is because it was, it was their car that my children, my children began using that car and I got it. I, I was able to get another car because that car was tracked. So, um, and, and so I, um, I was stopped by the police for having an unregistered car. So what he ended up doing was knowing I didn't have the title, he canceled it. Right. He called the police. The police saw me. I live in a, a small area, my business, my private practice is in a small area and handed up canceling. it. My, my point is is that these are examples of the, uh, the dynamics that are going on all of the time. I was reprimanded for going to court for not having a title in my car. Like that doesn't make any sense. So so how do we begin to you know educate in a way that doesn't put people on the defense going back to your conversation? You know, in a way that they understand the dynamics that play with the abuser, um, with this coercive controller who will do anything um, to maintain control, including cancel the registration on the car. Never mind that the car was tracked. So, um, yeah.
0: Well, and I want to say, too, this is why it is so important to have people who really understand the subject, because if you're just trying to talk to friends and family they're going to say, well, that doesn't make sense. (laughs) Exactly. What are you talking about? Yeah. But then, well, yeah, you should totally go back. Of course, you're going to win that case because this, you know, and um, I do want to say when the more I study this, the more it's like, man, there is a drastically different piece of advice. Like you and I are just like, we've never met. We have we not only have matching, nearly matching outfits on, we um, you know, I used to have the side bang, we kind of have the same hair. Like we're just like, okay, it's like we're in a different world. It's like this, 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 this. It's this language that people who are knowledgeable on this subject can speak. That when you're talking to someone who isn't used to navigating this, I'm sure your auntie you're, is very supportive and your mom is whatever, but they're going to say, Well, that doesn't make sense.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I do want to point that out to people too, because it can be, I just, I know you're like me, you just hate to see people trying to do things that they're just navigating a game that they never wanted to play.
1: Well, so it's like, it is like chess. I use that picture in um, one of the workshops I do. It's like chess, but the, and the issue is, is that you're never going to win I mean, that's the reality is that if you are the victim, the perpetrator is so good at what they do. You'll never win. You don't think like they do. That's why we're perfect prey. We don't think like these people. We can't wrap our mind around the insidious, hurtful things they would do to hurt us. My ex-husband... I found out nine years later after his first affair, the only affair I thought he had, of course, he had multiples, but he had an affair with a good friend of ours who was our children's music teacher. And that weekend I took the kids away for um, to my mom's because I found out and you know, I was mad and went to my mom and dad's and he's begging me to come back. I love you. You're my soulmate, blah, blah, blah. Please come back. We'll work it out. I come back. you know, had the kids with me, I picked them up from school, and I had them with me and um, very small school system. So this woman was very well known, it was really hurtful. And I um, come back on Monday, um, after picking them up from school, and um, I go to work, I work at night, I teach at night. My daughter told me after a significant issue that she had with my dad. So she was nine at the time, at the age of 17. She tells me That he started that day telling them that I was crazy, that I make up stories, that I can't be trusted, that I have depression and I have anxiety. The campaign to harm me as their mother, the psychological abuse that he did to them, the coercive control he did to them, he started at the age of nine, unbeknownst to me. I had no idea that for the next eight years he did this to them. And I wondered you know, why she she in particular was really filled with contempt for me throughout much of her adolescence. And I'm like, what did I do wrong? Like, what's why does this child, like, I mean, you know, we know, you know, like I always use that book, like, you know, um, I hate you and I'll take Cheryl and I to the mall. It's like a famous book for teenagers, right? Like for moms of teenagers, you know, because this is what they do. We expect them to hate us and want to pull away from us and all. Hers was different. It was significant contempt. And she began to tell me, everything he had done for those basically eight years to harm her, to harm her relationship with me. So I, I didn't know that I'm talking about their game is so good. Their mm-hmm. game is so good and yeah. it's, we cannot win at it. So the, the only thing we can do is disengage is to is to is to play the game in a way that we are not engaged anymore. And that no matter how hurtful, no matter how many times they say horrible things about us, that it's like I say we have we have like an armor on us. It's like our shield. And they keep sending those arrows. And eventually, because we have this strong armor, the arrows aren't penetrating anymore but but when you have to do that by the way it's kind of again down another rabbit hole when your children are sending those arrows or a child is sending those arrows because that child is so abused by the perpetrator they begin to impact you in the same way the perpetrator did they begin to use the same narrative they begin to harm you in such a significant way i mean the pain the pain is beyond words and you know i tell victims all the time you know, I'm not minimizing your pain, but guess what? You have to stand up for your. You have to stand up and not let that trauma that he gave you, let that hurt that child's trauma, whoever it is, repeat towards you. You have to show that child that your armor is so strong because guess how they perceived you? They perceived you as weak all of those years. You were weak. And guess what? If I'm a child, it's an act of survival. Who am I going to align with the strong one or the weak one? Well, guess I'm aligning with the, with the strong one, because the strong one, I know what he does when he has a scapegoat and I'm not going to be that scapegoat. No way on God's green earth is a child going to say, I'll set my up to be myself up to be that scapegoat. So they, they learn through psychological abuse, by the way, this coercive control inculcated through psychological, they learn the only way to survive is to align with the offender. That's their survival tool.
0: And I want to say the only strategy to this is women becoming as strong as they can. Not strong as in like going head to head with the Mm-mm. toxic person. No. Because <laughs> then they're good, you know. But I hear women say, well, how do I help my kids? You be strong. You create that armor. You create joy in your life. When they say you're depressed and crazy, you don't give them any data. Like, your kids are like, what? My mom is so full of joy, and she's confident, and she's emotionally stable, and she's happy, and she's thriving. When you say mom's crazy and messed up, like, what are you talking about? And Is it fair? No. Do we have to be superhuman a bit?
1: Superhuman. I would agree. <laughs>
0: right? You have your it's little cape. Fair.
1: You have a cape. You, yeah, you I have, have a was.
0: cape, actually, that says Sarah Strong. <laughs> um, <laughs> I actually have a cape. Uh, that uh, someone one maybe, but... Said- <laughs> But, but that's the choice. And women said, well, I, I need to get a therapist to like find I need to put my kids in therapy so the therapist can tell them how bad their dad is. And then they'll align with me. And I was like, that is not the strategy that is not. And it's again, and I'm getting real hard, like there's so many things unfair about this, but there's what's fair and then there's what works here's what works. (laughs) You being strong, you being put together, you being confident, you being full of joy, you being so emotionally stable that when these arrows come or when your kids are in their own trauma, Mm -hmm. they don't have any data. They don't have any stickers. Depression. There it is. Sadness. There it is. Crazy. There it is. Weak. There it is. Angry. There it is. That's the strategy. And that's the strategy. Women (laughs) do not want that strategy.
1: Well, they, they're trying to convince, right? I mean, so what I say to, um, you know, clients and, and, and other, you know, w- workshops and things like that, this is that, you know, how long did it take you to figure out he was abusive? Right. You're mm-hmm. expecting your children to see that? That's their father.
0: It's That's a biological a, connection. It, that it's you it's a biological
1: Exactly, and and we talk about trauma bond and the cognitive dissonance that all of us had for years in these relations. Maybe maybe some people were lucky and they got out sooner. For me, it was it was it was my life, like basically it was you know very long time. I knew him for thirty five years. So the idea that if it takes us that long, how could we expect like that our children are going to flip? And by the way, the more that you try to convince them, oh my gosh, the more they're going to think you are crazy. Your role is to not engage at all. And not even, um, one of the things I mentioned recently in a podcast or somewhere is this idea that like when I, when my kids would come home from, come here to visit me in in my apartment, um, they would, I would say, Hey, so how was dinner with dad? Or where did you guys go? Do you understand? That's a trigger. Don't ask if they tell you that's one thing. So oh, that's nice." you know, you might, you might not be happy about it, but you pretend it's nice, but don't ask the moment you ask about the offender. That's what he does either in covertly or overtly. When he's with them, they know everything he says is manipulation. They want to see you as, and they wonder, they don't trust you. They wonder if yours is manipulation. So yeah, (laughs) it's a lot, But, but
0: there is a path. It's not a fair one. Again, it's, a it's not a fair one. Exactly. But there is a path that works. It is a long game strategy.
1: Oh, long game
0: marathon. It is here. not the court saving you. <laughs> it is not a therapist saving you, convincing your children things. It's not, you know, it's, it, and it's you saving yourself. I hate to say it, you know, I, I wish there was, you know, an easier way.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But uh, is that what you've seen too, Christine?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's a marathon. I, I was um, uh, talking to someone the other day and she's like, oh, when, so when he noticed that his dad wasn't paying college tuition, was that the day? Bing! Dad's a liar. Dad's a manipulator. Dad's an abuser. I'm like, no, no. Like how many times did it take you? This is a long, it's a marathon. And, and so the more regulated we are as victims. So we have been so dysregulated because of the complex post-traumatic stress that we have experienced. We are dysregulated. The more regulated you are, the quicker it will happen. So that one time you explode because, she, you know, the, the, the child has pushed, 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 or you got inundated by an amount of, you know, whether it's emails or you were followed, you know, running and you're, you're running and he's driving his motorcycle and he comes up to you and you're totally like, you know, uh, your cortisol levels are like exploding in your brain and you come home and then she says something and you explode. So it's like the light socket, right? You know, or you have to tell children over and over again not to touch that light socket, or re, or, or move them away from it. Right? We have to have that same ability with these relationships with our children, where we are not um, uh, triggered in those moments that we actually are able to respond instead of react. That's what I call it. You need to respond with the same thing, and I use the three rule. I'll tell you one time. You know, that wasn't very nice to say. I'll tell you a second time, please don't talk to me that way. And then the third time, we've already discussed this and I walk away. It's about disengaging over and over again. And you deal with your, you leave your trauma at the door and you can leave and cry. You can go outside and go for a run. You can scream with your mother or your sister or your therapist, but don't let them see you break. And the more that you do that, the less that they will need to get that response from you. Yeah.
0: Agree completely. Christine, tell people where they can find more out about you.
1: Sure. So I'm on christinecociola.com. I'm also on coercive control it is IPV on Instagram if they want to follow me. Um, and yeah, I, it's been a pleasure uh, speaking with you, Sarah. Thank you so much for asking me.
0: Well, thank you so much about for what you're doing in this work and um, especially trying to address the legal system and, and the intricacies of just truth, right? You know it's it's not this or that, just the intricacies of people seeing um, what's really happening.
1: Sure, in so and many it homes. Yeah, and I would say to people who really would love to have this law, uh, Jennifer's law we have here in the state of Connecticut, is reach out to your legislators, you would be surprised how many legislators are interested in, in, in preventing, you know, this type of abuse. And if you can find one to adapt a bill, they can use Connecticut's bill. I mean, basically as a template, we have templates now. And then if you can find one, we can find two, we can find three, and then eventually we can make this a national agenda, which would be fantastic.
0: So. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Christine, thank you so much for helping us on our journey to becoming toxic person proof. Thank you. Have you ever wished, oh, I wish I could just work with Sarah. If so, go right now to Kramsey.com, Check out the program section and see if the Wondrous Woman program is right for you. I help people reconnect with what's right with them, become toxic person proof, finding love and success after a toxic relationship, then consider this your personal invitation for me. I'm there live, there's tons of support, and most importantly, tons of more information to help you on your journey to become Toxic Person Proof.